Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Either you are with us or you are with the terrorists. If you've got health care already, then you can keep your plan if you are satisfied with it. Donald Trump is not going to be president of the United States. Take it to the bank. Together, we will make America great again. We shall never surrender. Never surrender. It's what you've been waiting for all day. The Buck Sexton Show. Join the conversation. Call Buck toll-free at 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. The future of talk radio. Buck Sexton. Ultimately, you and other like-minded people on your uh, board feel that sanctuary status is unconstitutional. Well, it is unconstitutional. I mean, I realize there are a lot of states that don't care to live by certain rules in the federal government or the Constitution if they disagree with it. Uh, last I checked, it's not optional, even if you don't like the outcome. And it puts our law enforcement personnel in a very awkward spot. They have to uphold the Constitution and the law. They swear to do that. Mm-hmm. I swore to do that when I took the oath. And uh, it, California has decided to poke the president and his administration in the eye, and I'd rather they just not involve us. The Sanctuary City Showdown continues. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everyone. Great to have you here. Oh, man, the fight over immigration is intensifying. Now, a few things to put out there right right away. I've got to look a bit deeper into whether Trump has a means of building, building the wall without actually having to get specific congressional funds for it. I know everyone's saying it. I, I don't see how it's possible, but I'm I'm seeing stuff left and right about how we're not not on, on the political left. You know what I mean? I'm seeing reports out there of Trump could do this anyway. We'll see. That would be some amazing. That would be 4D chess. It, it, would, it would be 8D chess. I don't even know what that looks like, but it's some crazy chess. It looks like it's out of a nightmare. Or that'd be, that'd be nuts if he could pull that off. I don't know how he's going to do that. But there's another place or a couple of places where the immigration fight continues on. And if nothing else, it is important for us to have clarity on it going into the midterms. Uh, I mentioned the issue of sanctuary cities. Be very careful as I say that, especially when you say sanctuary city showdown on a live radio. That's not something you want to say 10 times real fast. Trust me. Don't do it, folks. Trust me on that one. You're going to have to apologize in front of your kids. Whoops, mommy said something she didn't mean to. Uh, But Sanctuary City Showdown is ongoing. You've got actual cities in California that are saying, you know what, we want to opt out of this mess. We we don't believe that California's state legislature should be able to pass laws that directly contravene the spirit, if not the law, of the federal government when it comes to immigration. Now, I'm going to I'm going to. Tell it to you straight. I like the resistance here. Hashtag the resistance. No, the hashtag resistance. I like what they're doing. I like that it's part of the conversation. But states have police powers, not cities. States are going to win this fight, I think. I'm just telling you the truth. And you know what? We should get my buddy, Jeff, you know, big, big, big J, Mr. Sessions. We'll have the attorney general come back on the show and explain to us how he thinks this can play out legally in the courts. Because I completely agree with him that this is just utter lawlessness in the case of California. It's just sheer, utter lawlessness that they are totally okay with because they're like, hey, man, like, we just love everybody. And, like, why don't we... My, by the way, my, my ratings in California are probably going off a cliff right now. But, you know, I, I love you, my fellow California conservatives. Don't you understand? You're like me, but the West Coast version. 
You're a Republican behind enemy lines or a conservative behind enemy lines. You're like Buck, but with a tan and eating more healthfully. You know, that's you're, you're the West Coast branch of the Freedom Hut. So I'm not I'm not making fun of any of you guys and gals. I'm talking about your friend Tad, you know, who drives a Prius, wears a lot of hemp based clothing, has a pet therapist, drinks a lot of things that require a blender, but just look like green mush and thinks he knows about politics based on the latest Kardashian tweet. That's not who you should be getting your political analysis from, as you know. Unfortunately, those folks make up a plurality of your state, a, a massive majority of your state, and they're the ones determining policy. So the sanctuary issue, I think, in California, the fight between the state and the federal government is going to be a close one. The fight between some of these cities and the state, I think the state's going to win. I'm just saying. You can do things that the state doesn't mind. So New York City, for example, has even more restrictive gun laws than New York State does. Because, to borrow from Governor Cuomo, nobody needs a bazooka to kill a deer. Fact check. True. Um, but, nonetheless, and no one has a bazooka, but you get all that. Uh you look at what New York City does, New York State's okay with it, that's why. If they thought it contradicted what was coming out of our state capital, Albany, in the case of California, Sacramento, be an issue. Keep in mind, though, there's another big area of immigration focus right now that is fascinating for what it says about the political parties and our, and our national conversation right now, and I think the federal government will win. The state of California is challenging the federal government, including a question in our 10-year census, right? Constitutionally mandated. You got to have a census every 10 years. Got to do apportionment of the various uh, members of the House or the, the seats for the House of Representatives. You don't actually apportion the members. That would be weird. Like, put me down. But, you know, you've got to actually, on a map, decide where which states have which representatives and where. Uh, what the districts are. This matters a lot for that. It also matters a whole lot, the census data for federal funds, for grant money. So the, the stakes here are pretty high. Last time we had this was 2010. By the way, it cost $13 billion. It seems like a lot for handing out a questionnaire. I mean, there's a lot of people in this country, but they're, it's done on paper, I think. Uh, maybe you can do it online now, too. I got to check. But you would think that $13 billion with a B is a a lot of money for a census. I think that had 600,000 workers as well. The census, uh, the census Bureau, you know, it's this is like their Super Bowl, folks. The 2020 census, it's big time for them. They want to take it from the friend zone to the end zone in 2020. It's game time. The song lyric that I'm assuming some of you will get. Anyway, it's a big deal for them. And the big problem right now is over the inclusion of a question about citizenship. See, this is what's so fascinating, right? The way the census works. And I, I really dug into this one today. I may have spent way too much time reading about the census and you know, where it comes from. By the way, it used to have a question about citizenship of some kind or another from like 1820 to 1950. So there was a long period there where, hey, like, are you actually a citizen? Because they do just count persons. And then this stretches, stretches back all the way to the clause in the Constitution about three-fifths. And, uh, you know, there's there's a whole other part of the American legacy that you see in the in the uh, issue of this is, you know, what Article two, Section one, I think I'm doing that for memory. Don't yell at me, Constitution 
super geniuses if I got that one wrong. I think it's Article 2, Section 1. But the census is necessary for apportionment of the House. It's also, you know, we have to worry about it with the Senate because, as we all know, even Rhode Island gets two senators. Why? It's a little quirk of history. That's right. We don't have an affiliate in Rhode Island right now, so I'm just like, whatever. Whatever, Rhode Island. Take your two senators. Be grateful. Uh, actually, we might have it. I'm sorry. If we do have a Rhode Island affiliate, I love you guys, and I'm totally kidding about your two senators that you probably don't need. Um, Massachusetts is not just going to swallow you up any day now. But back to the census. The question about citizenship has set off all kinds of alarms and problems. And oh, my gosh, because here's what the Democrat Party really has become. It is no longer just a pro-amnesty party. It is a pro-illegal immigration party. They don't think illegal immigration is a crime. They don't think it's a problem. They want all people that are currently, quote, undocumented, which is a term they've invented for people who are illegal aliens, to be legalized. And any future illegal aliens, they will also make an effort to legalize. So they are ideologically an open borders party, although they're not a de, a de jure open borders party, right? They won't advocate for the laws to change to make us open borders, but they want the continuation of what we have, which is illegal immigration, amnesty, illegal immigration, amnesty. That's the cycle that they like. It empowers them. So why are they so upset about the census? Well, they don't want a question about illegal, well, about citizenship status. Because they say it will frighten people into not answering the question. I want to tell you there's a whole other reason why they don't want the question about citizenship to be on the Census Bureau data, in the Census Bureau data. And that's why the state of California and now Eric Schneiderman, the very annoying attorney general from the state of New York, some of the most populous states in the country, are challenging the federal government on this preemptively to stop it from being included in the census. I will tell you why they're doing this, but I'm going to have to tell you after the break because we are deep dive. We are going wild here. We're having a census party, and it's getting cray-cray up in the Freedom Hut right now. We'll be back with much more on that. 844-900-2825 if you want to call in. 844-900-BUCK. Stay with me. This is uh, a question that's been included in every census since 1965, with the exception of 2010, uh, when it was removed. Uh, this is We've contained this question that's provided data that's necessary for the Department of Justice to protect voters, uh, and specifically to help us better comply with the Voting Rights Act, uh, which is something that is important and a part of this process. Uh, and again, this is something that has been part of the census uh, for decades and something that the Department of Commerce felt strongly needed to be included again. So there you have the press secretary, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, talking about the the justification for including the question, which is that historically it has generally overwhelmingly been included, but also it's necessary under, I think, Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act has to do with uh, minority representation and protecting minority voting. They have to know what's going on in different districts if they're going to be in compliance, the federal government complying with the Voting Rights Act, uh, the parts of it that still apply. Remember, there was a truncation of the Voting Rights Act a few years back, which sent the left into fits of frenzy. But nonetheless, here's what's really going on, though. You guys ready for this? Y'all ready for this? 
there's a music thing. We didn't have it. I don't have it. I can't make the music sound. Let's just get past that buck. So here's what's really going on with the census. Democrats want the number to be as high as possible, which means they want as many illegals as possible, especially in a place like California. Uh, They want the numbers as high as possible for the reasons of apportionment, but also federal funding and all the different goodies the federal government distributes, right? If you got a county that has 100,000 people, well, that's you, you get stuff based on the formula that the government has for those 100,000. If you have 150,000, you're going to get more stuff. So if California wants the other states, including states that are not sanctuary jurisdictions, that are not full of millions of illegal aliens, to pay for their emergency room visits, to pay for their school system, to, to be giving them additional federal funds, they need the illegals to be counted. They want the illegals to be counted. The problem, so, so they don't want the inclusion, they say, because it'll scare people off. I don't know if it'll really scare anybody from answering one way or the other. One, I think you can just leave the question blank. And two, it's the last question on the survey. So people have already filled out all this stuff. And the last one, they'll have a thing about citizenship status. And I'm sure they'll just have a, you know, a, a, you know, a little clause about, you know, neither or does not apply or no answer or whatever. Or you just leave it blank. You know what really scary thing happens to you if you don't fill out your citizenship? I'm sorry, your uh, census forms. I think they can send someone to hand it to you. And then if you really want to play hardball, they can find you $100. No one's going to prison over this one, folks. When they start talking about how everyone's so scared. Oh, I'm so scared. The census workers are coming for me. You know, if you're worried about the census workers coming for you, you need to have a whole other bunch of talks. Time to uh, check and see how you're doing. Um, But the other part of it, is that if you had, let's say, a high degree of compliance with the census in California, including the question about illegal aliens, um, including that question, then you'd be able to see how many illegals are actually in California. And, you know, we're told time and time again, oh, the government has a number. They know the number. The number's clear. You know, don't worry about it. They've got it. No big deal. Come out to the coast. Have a few laughs. They pretend like they have a really good handle on this. I'm of the school, and I know that some of our esteemed friends in this debate who are true experts, Mark Corian from Center for Immigration Studies, uh, among others, believe that the 11 to 12 million number is, is accurate. I think it's higher than that. Uh, and I have a whole rationale or reasoning of as to why that is. Um, whenever there's something the government wants to be a lower number, trust me, they undercount it. Right. So, so that's just a basic rule. Whenever that's it's bad for the number to be higher, the government magically finds a way to pretend the number is lower uh, than it actually is. So I think illegal immigration is no different than that. Um, but also, if people really had a renewed sense of how many illegals are in, for example, Los Angeles County, then I think they want to know, well, what is this costing us, folks? Yeah, and, and, it, and if there's federal dollars being directed, see, this is what it really comes down to. If there are federal dollars that are specifically being increased for these areas of the country because of their illegal alien populations, which in a state like California, I, it's in the millions. I don't know how many million, uh, but in terms of the percentages... It's a large percentage of the overall state now is illegal. I don't want to throw out a number because I might be overestimating it in my head. 
And while I like to think I'm human Google, occasionally I do make mistakes. But there are some uh, there are some people who are seeing what's happening in California and understanding that they want the money, but they don't want the data, meaning they don't want people to really know how many illegals there actually are. What do we got, Producer Mike? Uh, and this is going back to uh, 2014. They estimated between 2.35 and 2.6 million undocumented immigrants. Okay. Uh, in fairness, I was going to say 3 million. So, you know, close. But that's you're, you're, you're looking at getting in the neighborhood of t- me. You know what? I, what's the population of California? I'm going to keep uh, human Google needs to keep turning to actual Google here. I think it's 35 million ish, 30 to 35 million. What do we got? Producer Mike, uh, 39 million. Bam. Close enough that I give it to myself. I showed my work. I get half credit at least on the math test. Uh, 30. 39 million. So let's say it's roughly 3 million. Okay, I'm not saying it's, but that's a large portion of the state. And that number is low. That number is low. No way it's actually, and they say 2.6, but I think they're undercounting by at least 50% would be my guess. Uh, And they don't want people to really know. But here's what you see happening. The Democrat Party is now the party of illegal aliens, which means the Democrat Party privileges the interests of non-citizens who are in the country illegally over legal U.S. citizens. And if this fight over the census question continues, what we may also see is, in fact, a situation where the government is privileging the interests of, or the government in California would be privileging the interests of illegal aliens over the interests of minority communities in this country who are specifically protected under the Voting Rights Act. Just goes to show you where the priorities of the Democrat Party are now. Forget about Americans. Forget about minorities. Forget about African Americans in this context. The Democrat Party is concerned first and foremost with non-American illegal aliens. We'll be back. Fox News has the conservative piece of the real estate sewed up and has thrived on that and done incredibly well. I will say what has happened there in a post-Roger Ailes world is is somewhat shocking, frankly. It it is really state-run TV. Mm. It is a pure propaganda machine, and I think does an incredible disservice to this country. Mm. Oh, boy, I'm excited. Time for some buck slaps here for Mr. Mr. Zucker. There we go. Who is the uh, my, my technically my former boss at CNN? Although I don't know if he would know me if I walked into the room, and and I don't care. Uh, but but he threw the first punch here in the Fox News wars. You know, usually the corporate executive types stay out of this because they understand that the moment the guys at the very top start rolling up the sleeves and throwing punches, uh, the, the second this turns into uh, a, a bit of rhetorical pugilism, it's a throwdown. Um, that's when you, in fact, can have all the rest of the organization deciding that they're also going to get in on it, if you know what I mean. They're also going to throw down quite a bit. And there's so much that's a problem here, okay? There's so much that's wrong with what was just said. But let me just start from the perspective of what CNN was for the eight years of the Obama administration. If you went on CNN and you were insufficiently uh, favorable towards Obama, if you did not show him reverence, 
you were automatically suspect in the eyes of the entirety of the leadership there and the producers that would book you for the shows and all the different hosts. In fact, the hosts of the various CNN shows were incredibly close to senior Obama administration officials, both personally and in many cases professionally. It was as close as you can be in the media, I think, without actually working in the West Wing. That's where CNN was and MSNBC during the Obama years. There was no effort whatsoever to really call to account the Obama administration lies. People say, oh, what lies? Oh, I don't know. Like, if you like your health care plan, you can keep it. And also, if you were, and I was, so I speak from experience here, if you were a conservative over at CNN, you were always being either subtly or in not so subtle a fashion undermined. You were constantly being undermined. You were there to be a clay pigeon. If you did too well, you would get put on ice. You'd be sent on injured reserve. And for CNN right now to have its head honcho out there throwing stuff in the direction of Fox News when CNN has just engaged in among the most appalling weeks of journalism or months of journalism I've ever seen with regard to the gun issue is particularly rich. It's crazy that CNN thinks they can lecture anyone on anything at this point in time, considering that they set up a gun town hall that was the the equivalent of, of some kind of show trial. It really was. It was a show trial. It was, let's bring out people who will defend the Second Amendment, who will have an, an honest conversation with this frenzied anti-gun mob. And you have to remember what I say. And you know it's true because when I say it, leftists get really mad at me. When I talk about the truth of the anti-gun movement, I get all this vitriol from the left. When I say things like anti-gun sentiment is really about anti-gun owner sentiment, they get so angry because it's true. And they don't like it when people speak the truth about what's really going on in their minds, why they take the positions they do, why they feel the way they do about all these various gun control issues and debates that come up. But you had Marco Rubio, Dana Lash, you had individuals showing up for that CNN town hall which was really, as I said, a televised show trial and just a, a two minutes hate against gun owners. It, it's not going to change any policy in any meaningful sense. It's not going to save anyone's lives, any lives. It's just going to be exactly what it was, an effort to placate the frenzied, ignorant, anti-gun base that comprises most of CNN's viewership. They're proudly ignorant. I mean, these are the... Chainsaw bayonet people, right? Oh, what am I going to do about the chainsaw bayonets with the bazooka machine lasers on it? You say, well, that's not really a thing. Oh, it's always about the minutiae with you. Children are dying. Well, I'm just trying to be clear. If you want to pass a law to ban something, you should probably know what you're trying to ban, right? You know, this would be like if somebody said, yeah, let's just let's just ban. Let's just ban uh, opioids. Let's just ban them all. And I said, well, hold on a second. Some opioids are actually really useful for people for medicinal purposes. Some give people their lives back, allow them to function instead of being in chronic pain. Some opioids are incredibly useful during and after or after generally, but surgery. Right. Oh, no, let's just ban them. Don't you care about all the people losing their lives? Well, of course, I care about the people losing their lives. But, you, you know, if you're saying just ban opioids, I'm going to say that's a bad idea. 
If you're saying just ban guns or ban handguns or ban rifles, I'm going to say that's a bad idea. But CNN doesn't want to get lost in those distinctions. It's a network that has just gone from one storyline to another, not meant to illuminate different aspects of Democrat policy, not meant to give people a, a both sides understanding of what the Trump administration is up to. They are a political action committee devoted to undermining and destroying this presidency. That's it. They will do fake news as they have in the past in order to get there. They are unapologetic about the bias that they have. In fact, they, unlike MSNBC, which will kind of sort of admit it. I mean, they know they're leftists at MSNBC. CNN doesn't think it has a bias, which in many ways makes it even worse. In many ways, I find that more bothersome than what we see from other places. You know, no, no one admits that, no one thinks, I should say, that Vox or Slate or the Huffington Post doesn't have a point of view. They don't understand that their point of view is insane and they're practically communist, but nonetheless, they've got a point of view. CNN thinks it's still the gold standard in journalism. I, I could sit here and just tell you story after story about the stuff that I heard on air, off air, behind the scenes, always playing games. They didn't realize what they were doing. And this is fundamental. This is important for all of you listening. They kept putting the Trump people on TV, yes, because of ratings, but also they thought that Trump and all of his defenders in the media, of which I was one, by the way, after the primary, uh, they thought that they were cretinous and, and, and idiotic. And if they would just put them on air, it would expose how awful they were to the people that watch CNN. So it was a twofer. You get great ratings and you're just letting these these pro-Trump clowns embarrass themselves. What they didn't understand was that people saw this and they thought, wow, this guy's actually really, he's really making sense. He's got something. What they didn't understand was that when they had their anchors say things like, oh, Anderson Cooper, Mr. Super Journalist, Donald Trump would take a dump on a desk and you would defend it. That's a quote from him when he was on air on national TV. Oh, yeah, this the, this, the second coming of Edward R. Murrow right there, Anderson Cooper, when he's not drunk on New Year's Eve, he's doing a great job on air. You know, he said that on TV, and it's because over time it just became hard to get attention for the different ways that people at CNN could try to undermine and humiliate Trump supporters on air. And so he finally just let one fly there. But there were other times, too. I remember when he went after Andy Dean and basically said, you know, you're little punk life you've never done anything like i've done it was a really nasty exchange with andy dean who's a a friend of mine a good guy by the way actually used to be a a host of radio show um so the bias is very clear and then just real quickly I, i won't spend much time on this but fox news has people who are very supportive of trump people who are kind of supportive of trump people who are opposed to trump And they are all on air and they are all treated with respect. I cannot say the same thing for CNN. Pro-Trump people are ridiculed there. And it's CNN's fault and CNN's loss and CNN's poor judgment that they thought by putting Trump people on TV during the campaign, they were assuring Hillary's victory. And whoops, it's not how it turned out. As as you can see, I, I do not I do not appreciate I do not think we all need to hear the lecture from Mr. Zucker on Fox News as state TV. Um, And 
it's uh, it's particularly galling. Uh, so anyway, uh, team, we've got a lot more show coming up here. Uh, phone lines are open, 844-900-2825, 844-900-BUCK. Also, don't forget, you can tweet at me throughout the show if you'd like, at Buck Sexton on Twitter. I'm hoping some of you sign up for Twitter. It's actually a really cool platform once you start using it, uh, and certainly Facebook, facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. We'll be right back. Do you think in showing these kids so often, as often as we, we all do, we're doing actually them a disservice because the policy is actually what's going to change this. The passion, I fear, will just sound like noise after a while and people will tune it out. I, disservice is, is a strong word, but when I was interviewing David Hogg uh, only 10 days after the massacre, mm-hmm. uh, I, there were a few times I wanted to jump in and, and say, let's let's correct that fact. That's let's, so interesting. Let's make let sure we're more. And at one did of the times you? I did, and okay. other times I did not. So there you have uh, my friend, S.E. Cup over at, over at HLN, Sister Network CNN, who is one of the, the very few lone conservatives over there, and, and she is treated with respect. She has her own show uh, on HLN, so it's the Sister Network of CNN. But she's asking a very important question of Brian Seltzer, who has a show, mind you, on CNN, uh, and whom I, I, my one experience with him was, was he tried to ambush me in a taped interview and got so buck slapped and so taken to school that the, the interview never saw the light of day. They never aired it and wouldn't even tell me they weren't going to air it two days later when I said, hey, whatever happened to that interview? It was overtaken by breaking news. Uh, it's a Sunday morning. This was supposed to air on Sunday morning. I don't think there was any breaking news in the last couple of hours since you guys were all planning on running this. Because he came in, he's like, oh, Buck, uh, well, what do you know about terrorism? And why would this be a terrorist? I was like, I don't know. I might have briefed the president on issues relating to counterterrorism when I was in the Central Intelligence Agency's Office of Counterterrorism and then the Office of Iraq Analysis. Maybe. I might know something about it. Uh, enough to talk about it on CNN without an anchor coming at me with that stuff. Uh, my weak sauce has been thrown back in my face. I'm so sad now. Uh, Stelter is not, not among the more impressive journalists over there. He also walks around all the time wearing New Balance sneakers with his suit on, which, are you Steve Jobs? No. Wear some real shoes. All right, Stelter. I'm somebody who's all about comfortable shoes. Don't wear shoes that say, hey, I'm too cool at my place of work to have to wear real shoes with this suit. You can say this is petty, but I'm just enjoying making fun of Stelter a little bit. Okay, so uh, we, we have the admission there, though, and this was what was important, the admission that they just don't really challenge the kids. You see, that's why the kids are so perfect for the purposes of the propaganda that's out there, the uh, March for Our Lives and the Never Again movement, all this different stuff. Because the Democrats can use it in whatever way they they want, whenever they want. You know, they're experts when they sound good. They're just kids when they make fools of themselves. They're people of great gravitas and authority when they're pushing the left wing line. They're, oh, don't be mean to the kids, you know, whenever the media decides. You know, on on the one hand, they're the voices of reason and wisdom. On the other hand, that is going to change a generation. On the other hand, uh, they are. The kids who we can't be mean to because they've been through a trauma, right? So looking at this now, you see the way the game is playing out time and time again with this. It's not new. They did this. The Democrats did this with a handful of 9-11 widows. And everyone was very, oh, gosh, how could you call? No, there are a few people that are in campaign commercials for John Kerry and acting like they can't be challenged on foreign policy because there are among the thousands of people who lost family members on 
9-11. And, and now here we are with this. And, and I would note that the one of the survivors of the Bataclan massacre, which saw, oh, I believe, over 100 killed that day. You had suicide bombing at the Stade de France. I was actually at CNN covering it as an analyst at the time when it was breaking news. And you had all these. So I remember the night very well. And you, you had all these different stories about how horrific the Bataclan massacre was. And you've got a survivor of that saying that he thinks these kids are acting like they're acting like, uh, you know, punks, basically. He thinks it's completely. He calls them pathetic. I'm trying to find the. Oh, and, and, and vile. I'm trying to find the direct quotes from him now. It was the Eagles of death metal frontman Jesse Hughes. He's been getting attention now for so so what what do we say to this in response? He was there for one of the most horrific, brutal terrorist massacres to happen in the West in memory. All right. Other than nine eleven, a Bataclan massacre is up there in like probably the top ten or fifteen in terms of number killed and so does does he get a special place in terms of his opinions on this? Is is he treated with reverence and deference? Of course not. Because he's not a useful tool for the left. He is not someone who does what they want him to do. Therefore, he does not get the special protections. One more. I wanted to get this in before we get to the next hour. We're going to have to talk about Russia coming up. I know. Get excited. Russia time. Uh, here is uh, CNN. <laughs> I'm really going after CNN. I've got some unresolved CNN issues, apparently. I need to go sit down with my therapist and be like, CNN was so mean to me. And I just feel like I just want some CNN closure because they just were. I mean, it's not really like that. I smacked around all the people that they actually let me get near in terms of on air. But they they kept many of them away from me. You know, They were smart. I give them credit for that. There were some that were were dodging me on the Hillary Clinton story in particular because it's like, well, I had a TS clearance and I actually know the rules and the law on this. You're putting a bunch of political Hillary hacks on TV who want jobs. Who do you think is going to look smarter on TV? They're like, let's keep this buck kid uh, off to the side, please. Uh, he, he, he looks 20, maybe, on a good day, but they'll still believe him because he actually knows what the heck he's talking about. Uh, but polling says some things that they don't like over at CNN. So 42 percent of people, despite allegations of affairs, 42 percent of people um, are approving of Trump at this point in time. Forty two percent, which is actually right about right about where he was right about where he's been all along. So they keep running these stories. They keep running the different iterations of you know, Playboy Bunny and the affair and all this other stuff. And it doesn't affect Trump's approval rating. And the ratings are terrible over at CNN, by the way. So what are they really doing? They are on an Ahab-like quest. Trump is CNN's white whale. We could have a lot of fun with that. And CNN is Ahab, and they are never giving this thing up. The polling shows that it's not working so far, but they don't care. They don't care. Our matey with the harpoon. I don't know if that's really what Ahab sounds like, but you know what I mean. Hour two, Russia, coming up. Stay with me. He's back with you now, because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops. 
This is 25 nations, including many nations in Western Europe, which has a history of being somewhat soft on Russia, as well as the Eastern Bloc nations, the former Soviet satellite states. And the United States is leading the way in this in terms of the number of expulsions. Look, Eric, I'm an I'm a old peace through strength guy, and I always will be. When one nation does something inappropriate and messes with international order and law, it is entirely right, and you must retaliate. We've retaliated. Uh, we need to do more, but this is very appropriate. Felt familiar. Felt a bit like old times. Now, look, look at what just happened. We are tough on Russia. We acted in concert with our allies globally. The United States took a leadership role, very untrumpian. And so I'm, I'm very happy uh, to see it. In response to the president's leadership, several additional countries and NATO have followed up with similar actions since our announcement. As of this morning, over 25 countries all around the world have expelled 150 Russian intelligence officers hiding under diplomatic cover in their countries. As we have said before, the United States is open to building a better relationship with Russia. But the Russian government must understand that there are serious consequences for its destabilizing actions. Trump takes on the bear. Welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. We had just in that little little soundbite we ran there, we had a former Bush administration White House press secretary, a former CIA director. In fact, my boss. I remember Mike. He's a good dude, actually. I like Mike. I want to be. Remember, I want to be like Mike, by the way. That was such a big campaign. I didn't want to be like Mike in that I wanted to run the agency. But nonetheless, uh, Hayden was a good guy. And uh, then you also had Sarah Huckabee Sanders of this administration. But you're noticing a trend here, folks. Not a surprise at all, right? A lot of action taken on Russia by this administration. Action that is real. Not just words. It's not sitting around talking, going to summits, you know, giving interviews to friendly press outlets, going on MSNBC. You know, we're going to work together. The Obama administration is going to do things. We're going to make it better. We're going to work. And we're going to stop Russia. Uh, this is actually Trump saying, OK, you know, you want to poison somebody with Novichok in the UK, one of our closest allies in the whole world. There's, there's going to be consequences and they're going to be tailored to what is a, a response one would expect in this situation, right? We're not just, it's not okay. They use Novichok now. We're about to, you know, land a Marine expeditionary force in uh, St. Petersburg. But it, it is saying, hold on a second. This is not okay. You guys got to knock this stuff off. See, it's interesting, isn't it? You have so many people that refer to Putin as a thug. You'll hear that a lot. You'll hear about how, You'll hear about how Putin is such a thug, he's such a bad guy. And then what they don't understand is they want a U.N. multilateral sit down, drink tea, Davos style pushback to whatever Putin is doing. And the the Trumpian approach is much more, you know, look, I'm not going to sit here and give all kinds of bluster about how I don't like what Putin did in the elections. I don't think. But when he steps out of line, you know, he steps out of line, he's going to get smacked. And that's what happened here, right? This is, I'm sure, Producer Mike, these are the same rules in certain neighborhoods in Philly. You go to the outer boroughs in New York. In Staten Island, for example, you step out of line, you get smacked, right? This is the Trump approach to dealing with Russia. And sometimes there's a genius in simplicity, or at least there's an effectiveness in simplicity. And I think when with Trump on international affairs because he isn't trying to trying so hard 
to impress people with these degrees from various uh, international relations institutes. The Fletcher School at Tufts, George, Georgetown's School of Foreign Service, the Walsh School, Johns Hopkins School of Advanced and International Studies, Columbia's School of International Public Affairs. I mean, go through all these places. You're like, Buck, why do you know about these things? Who do you think? You know, these are the people that go work in government. They work in, they go from these schools and they go, they become the bureaucrats who are, you know, working at the State Department, working at the, you name it. And the truth is, for a lot of them, it would just be better to have some, to focus on a life experience instead of getting a master's degree that's the equivalent of a lot of, reading assignments that you could do on your own if you just had the time and the discipline. And that's, that's just, that's the deal. So Trump is taking this approach. And now you're seeing a, a shift in at least the, the punditocracy on the Russia issue for now. They'll abandon this in a few weeks and we'll be back to, you know, Trump. You know, it's like, mis- it's like Colonel Mustard with a candlestick in the solarium. You know, it'll be Trump and Putin stuffing ballot boxes in Wisconsin. That's going to be where they take us. Just give it some time. For now, though, there's a little bit of a, hmm, what are we to make of this? What are we supposed to do about the fact that one of the dominant narratives from the media all along has been, oh, do we have it? There we go. The Hunt for Red October music always gets me in the mood for Russia analysis. So thank you, Brandon, on the board. Appreciate it. Now Now I'm really ready to go. So one of the main storylines all along has been that the Trump approach to Russia is tainted by either their ability to blackmail him or some bizarre and inexplicable favoritism that Trump has when it comes to Russia. You know, all these different things. And yet on the actual policy issues. Trump has been willing to do things that his predecessor, Obama, was not willing to do. And I think it's in part because of the my, my thesis here for Trump's international relations. What polls? Who's polls? Remember that? That was one of my favorite moments with now fa- famous for very different reasons. Lawyer Michael Cohen. He's like, who's polls? You got polls? I got polls. Who's polls on CNN? It's great. The anchor was like the polls. Hey, who's polls? You got polls? They were wrong, by the way, those polls. Uh, the step out of line, you get smacked. That's how you deal with bullies. That's actually how you deal with a KGB thug. So you get all these reporters running around saying, he's a thug, he's a thug. And uh, yet you don't have any way to deal with that that's effective. And you've also got to look at this from the perspective of, let's assume that what we all hear about Putin all the time is is true. All I, all I can know about Putin is what I've read about him. I have not yet, despite commie bears and treaties on my behalf i have not yet gotten an invitation to the kremlin to hang out with putin to go shirtless uh deer hunting and go ride around on i don't know elephants whatever else he's got i know they don't have elephants in russia but you know he does all those cool things all over the world right this is they've created a cult of personality around him it's uh it's very clear that he is the guy he is now melded into the state in a similar way to the Chinese premier Xi Jinping. But how do you deal with somebody who is aggressive and a bully? Well, you stand up to them. You don't give them a you don't give them an excuse to escalate necessarily. Right? If a bully pushes you, you push back. If a if a bully pushes you, you don't necessarily try to wind up and and give him a a Chuck Norris style roundhouse kick to the nose. 
Because, one, you'll probably miss because high kicks are generally very ineffective in street fights from what I've seen and been told by people who are trained in these matters. And if you think about it, it makes sense. If I tried to throw a, a high kick, I would pull a hammy, no doubt. You know, I'm getting up there. I'm getting old. And that's not cool. No matter what kind of fight you're in, you don't want to go, oh, hold up, hold up. I just pulled something. But you don't want to escalate beyond what the bully is already doing. And that's why we're expelling diplomats. Um, this is There aren't that many things in our toolkit. Keep that in mind. We, we're already doing sanctions, punishing Russia economically. We are already taking diplomatic actions against them. And remember that the single most important thing we have done to box in the Russian state's ambitions abroad and to push back on Putin's belligerence. The single most important thing, I would argue, is the shale revolution in this country that has brought the price of oil down so much that the Russian economy, which is really a one-trick pony, I mean, Russia is kind of like Saudi Arabia plus the KGB. Um, That's the most important thing that, that we've done. And that was done, remember this, what is it, the barrel of oil right now is $64. I remember remember when it was like $120, yeah. And you'd actually fill up a gas tank, you're like, oh, my Camry just ate $50. You're like, oh my gosh, very expensive stuff. Uh, The most important thing we've done is through essentially U.S. prosperity, technology, innovation, ingenuity, energy. That's been more important than any other policy we've had. It's also the reason now Venezuela is in a terrible place of despair, but it's what's collapsed the Venezuelan regime. The Iraqi regime, people don't often give them credit for this. And this is just an aside for those of you who are Iraq watchers and care. Uh, But the Iraqis were like, no, no, we're not going to budget for a very high price of oil going into the future. At least some years ago, they they seemed to have a little bit of foresight with their budgeting. They they didn't prepare for nothing but uh, high prices in, in oil for the foreseeable. It also is bringing about... Some degree of reform in the Middle East, I would note. There's more of that. And this is all the result of the private sector, really, in the United States. So our most formidable weapon against a country that still has thousands of nuclear weapons, a very capable advanced military, and not necessarily delusions of grandeur, but definitely an inflated sense of its importance on the world stage, has just been allowing... Uh, our oil companies and our technology to bring down the price of oil dramatically. Because remember, the, the the Russian oil industries are, are state, essentially state-owned, state-backed enterprise. I mean, there's some private sector veneer, but it's really the state makes all the decisions. The state, Rosneft and these other oil uh, oil conglomerates, they are essential for funding Russian government operations. I think Russia has a flat tax, by the way. I think it's like 10 or 15 percent. Hey, if it works for Russia. Um, but they have not been able to refit and, and build out their military the way they'd like to because they don't have the capital to do it. So I just think that's a, a story that doesn't get told very much. And oh, by the way, one of the reasons it's not told to you. And we, we don't you don't have a media telling us this, do you? The United States has, thanks to all the folks listening who work in the oil industry and thanks to uh, the those scientists in the private sector and and uh, researchers who have created this revolution in shale oil technology we can get so much more and it's so it's get put on the market cheaply and uh, this has changed geopolitics more than any policy i can think of in the last well in, in the post 9-11 era really 
and, and for the better. And you don't hear about it because, oh, that's right. The Obama administration opposed it every step of the way. Oh, no, no offshore drilling, no drilling on federal land, no drilling on Anwar. Fracking is bad. Remember when there was that whole effort to say that fracking was going to poison all of our drinking water? There was a guy who made some documentary, a total, total wacko, by the way. I've seen him on. I can't remember his name right now, but it was, was Gasland. His do- I think it was Gasland was the name of the documentary. So I mean, this is like maybe 10 years ago. You know, I'm human Google, but I'm imprecise. You know, you got to fact check the human Google over here, which I guess means I'm not actually Google. Uh, but the, the whole premise is that you got everybody with all this gas underground and shale oil and we're all going to it's all going to poison us. Right, Mike? Uh, Josh Fox. Is that your thing? Yeah, about? that guy running around. We're all our drinking water is all getting poisoned because of shale. Oh, we need to pass legislation in New York to protect the uh, well, the New York watershed from shale oil. It's, it's all it's not true. This has all been a complete Sky is falling. I was going to say Silence of the Lambs, but it's actually Boy Who Cried Wolf. That's what I meant to say. I'm getting my, I'm mixing metaphors in a big way. No, no, Silence of the It uses the lotion or it gets the hose. That's a very different, uh, very different uh, metaphor to use. So, yeah. Um, Boy Who Cried Wolf, though, with the shale oil situation is, is apt. They were saying it would be so bad it would poison our drinking water. Meanwhile, if you want to see why Vladimir Putin is... A lot of bluster and isn't nearly as effective on the world stage as he would like to be. Forget about anything, including, honestly, Trump policy up to this point. I mean, Trump's done good stuff, but he hasn't been in office that long. Bringing the price of oil down dramatically and having the United States become the world's energy producing superpower is the single most important thing. And that was done over the strenuous objections of the Obama administration, of the environmentalist lobby, of the Democrat Party. So thanks for nothing, lefties. No surprise there. I don't mean that like for people who are left-handed. Although, if we're really going to get into it, the term sinister comes from the Latin on the left. And those of you who remember your Bible know that one of the ways that an assassination was pulled off was by hiding a weapon on the left side because they only checked the right. It was considered kind of cheating to be left-handed. So there's that. Uh, i got to go to our sponsor of this half hour before we move on, and it's G4 Tequila. Look, I am a guy who enjoys kicking back with a delicious adult beverage after a long day or at the end of the week. And you just can't do any better than G4 Tequila. This stuff is absolutely delicious. It comes from the El Pandillo Distillery. These are people who take their tequila very, very seriously. They honor the traditional methods of making tequila. And the master tequila distiller here is... A guy who's been in the business for years. They cook their agave evenly. It takes 22 hours, folks, this process. I mean, they this is painstaking. They are craftsmen. This is artisan tequila. Um, if you try it, it's my favorite, and I think it's going to be your favorite, too. Give it a shot. G4 Tequila. Craft your own luxury. G4 Tequila. Give it a shot. And, uh, team, we'll be right back. I can send you a fax with names, addresses, phone numbers of, of who you had an affair with. It wouldn't make it true. It is completely If you went on the radio and said that Bill Clinton is uh, the father of an illegitimate black child, you would be laughed at. People would think you're crazy. I guarantee you that if you do this, you'll never work in democratic politics again. Maybe you don't want to. I'm not saying it matters. You will be embarrassed before the National Press Corps. People will think 
Nobody will believe you. And people will think you're scummy. That the alternative is you don't do it. It causes you some temporary pain with people who tomorrow aren't going to matter. And you have a campaign that understands that in a difficult time, you did something right. Um, and, you know, that's important. I mean, it doesn't mean anything or we can't do anything for you specifically or anything like that. But you, uh, you know that you did the right thing. So that's George Stephanopoulos. There's a flashback included in, in the Freedom Hut packet today. Producer Mike, what, what was the context for this, by the way? When, when was this going on? This is way back in the day. This is Stephanopoulos, the political operative, threatening a journalist, it sounds like. Yeah, it, it's actually from the, um, the, the 1993 documentary called The War Room. Um, it, would t- it took place during um, the 1992 presidential, presidential campaign. Huh, interesting. Yeah, Stephanopoulos, uh, a, a guy who was somehow able to transition from being a, a straight-up political operative to, to a newsman. And everyone's just like, oh, he's just a newsman. Hmm, how does that work? That reminds me, you know what I got this week, actually? I, I'm going to see Chappaquiddick. I'm gonna, that is on my list of things that I need to see. I'm excited that someone made her, or I'm thankful, probably even a better word, that somebody made a movie about what happened in Chappaquiddick with Teddy Kennedy. It is somewhat astonishing, though, that here we are this many years later, and it's only after Teddy Kennedy has, has passed away, and there's really not a Kennedy that's in the stable that's supposed to take over you know, the, the Kennedy throne, and the fact that there's even a Kennedy throne is, is terrible— uh, folks, I am opposed to political dynasties. I really, you know, it's one of the one of the big problems I have with with Jeb. I didn't like it about George W. Not gonna lie, I hate it about the Clintons, and I think we need to be consistent on this one. One of the biggest things that separates the right from the left in this country, conservatives from liberals, is our our willingness to say things even when we don't want to or even when it's not the most fun thing to say because we don't want to be hypocrites, right? We need to hold on to that. That's important. I'm not saying we're perfect. I'm just saying the left embraces hypocrisy, means to an end, whatever. You know, what's fine in one case is not fine in the other. depends on whether there's a D or an R by the person's name. And we see this with the whole fiasco over uh, Trump and the alleged affairs versus the way they treated uh, Clinton, the way they treated Kennedy, the, uh, JFK and Teddy Kennedy. Um, the way that they covered for uh, John Edwards wouldn't touch that story uh, for the longest time. And, and that was really, ooh, he is. The fact that he was so close to being president is really to this day still one of the, one of the uh, moments where I start to question this, this whole experiment we call America. Like, you're going to make this ambulance chaser who's lying to everybody repeatedly on TV about cheating on his cancer-stricken wife, who he uses at campaign rallies for sympathy. I mean, the whole thing was just beyond appalling. Uh, but the media was, you know, they, they do whatever they want to do on this stuff. Uh, the Stephanopoulos thing, I just, I never heard Stephanopoulos get so fierce. That was, that was interesting. He's back with you now, because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops. 
Oh boy, the Facebook stuff continues here. I, I, I've I will give myself a little pat on the back because while everybody else was, oh my gosh, Facebook is coming for you. I was like, Facebook has been doing this all along, folks. This is not new. There is there is nothing about Facebook aggregating your uh, your data and using it and trying to sell it at a profit that is in any way different. And I'm I'm happy that we're finally seeing what's going on here. By the numbers, those of you listening to the show, I think I want to say 90% of the country is on. This is the problem with doing statistics off the top of your head. You know, I'm just it's a freestyle three hour radio show and I just say things. I think 90% of the country has a Facebook account. Maybe it's 70%. I don't know. I'm going to take a mulligan on this one. It's a lot, though. Most of you listening have a Facebook account. I don't know how much you use it or not, but it is it is the dominant social media platform by far in terms of overall usage and percentage of people who are uh, are involved with Facebook in some way. So it, it's it's a behemoth. OK, and it's got a tremendous it really it has the budget of a pretty good sized country. And it is a, a force in economics, a force in in our economy in ways that we're just beginning to really understand. But here's the latest on this. And this one's courtesy of PJ media. I saw this, uh, uh, I saw this one on drudge and it goes as follows quote, Cambridge analytical uh, analytical whistleblower, uh, Christopher Wiley appearing before a committee of British MPs on Tuesday said that Facebook has the ability to spy on users in their homes and offices. The British Parliament is investigating Cambridge Analytica's involvement in the Brexit election. MP Damien Collins, who chaired the committee, asked Weil, is it, no, Wiley, yeah, uh, whether Facebook has the ability to listen to what people are talking about in order to better target them with ads. Quote, there's been various speculation about the fact that Facebook can, through the Facebook app on your smartphone, Listen in to what people are talking about and discussing and using that to prioritize the advertising as well. Other people would say, no, they don't think it's possible. It's just that the Facebook system is so good at predicting what you're interested in that it can guess. He asked for Wiley's thoughts on the possibility, and Wiley said, there's audio that could be useful just in terms of are you in an office environment, are you outside, are you watching TV? Facebook, meanwhile, denies allegations that its app listens in on people. Look, I'm going to tell you this. Uh, Siri, I don't trust Siri. I don't trust Alexa. I turn all those things off because when Siri's on on my phone, and I'm not some paranoid guy. Are you you paranoid, Sexton? You ready for what's coming? Bilderbergs, chemtrails. Oh yeah, it's nothing. Just look at them up in the sky. They're nothing there. Just chemtrails. Nothing, nothing happened. Uh, but no, seriously, I turn off. Uh, what? What? Not Alexa. Alexa's the other one, right? Alexa's all you know. Alexa, are you working for the government? Alexa. That was one of my favorite clips. If we have that, by the way, we should, we should play that just because it's fun. He's an incredible performance artist. I give him credit for that. Um, but the Siri thing, the Siri thing, I sound like, oh, the Siri thing on my phone. It's hard. I press the buttons and I can't get it to work. Dag nabbit. Uh, but the, the Siri, uh, whatever it is, app fun- function, I believe the Siri function, did this thing when I got a phone that actually had it on where all of a sudden it would go like, no, like, I do not know where the pizza party is. I'm like, whoa, whoa. No one's talking to you. It would occasionally, maybe this was just a malfunction on my phone, but it would pick up 
you know, if you left it on or if I left it on, it would pick up what I had said and would respond to it. And I'm sure there's some techie explanation for this or whatever, but that to me means it has to have an active microphone on while I'm talking. And if it has an active microphone on, you got a couple of possibilities. One is that at least it is very possible that somebody could hack into your phone and be listening to everything. And they would hear my long conversations uh, with Miss Molly about how I really just think that this is the best aioli for my frozen chicken tenders, which is pretty much my, I have a few weaknesses in life, bacon, frozen chicken tenders, chocolate, whole milk, tequila, that's pretty, and wine. Those are, that's the list really. If you give me all that, I'm in pretty, oh, and steak, obviously, but I'm in pretty good shape if you give me all those things. Maybe you can put some greens on my plate so I seem healthy. Uh, But I didn't like that this would pick up the words that I was, the words that I was saying, the things that I was saying, and it would get processed through some kind of a you know computer algorithm, and it would it would make decisions based on what I, I was saying, and it didn't necessarily wait for me to prompt it. So, if we were thinking about this from a counterintelligence perspective, let me just say this would be you'd have to think of this as a nightmare, right? You're going to walk around with a with an, a microphone that is always enabled. And that is always connected to the web or to your cell phone, uh, to the cell towers. And you're just hoping that not only is there good enough encryption to stop hackers, but you're trusting any company that you put an app on your phone that they're not going to uh, misuse or abuse this data. Now, you know, I would say that I'm sounding a little paranoid, but I also know people who really do the thing. And producer Mike Brandon, either you do this, where they, they put the piece of tape on their on the top of their computer where the camera is because they know that it can be turned on and turned off. I I think a lot of this is kind of like the local news stories you'll see where it's like, can somebody hack into your baby monitor? And they put up a photo of like some creepy guy in a sweatshirt. It's just, you know, you can't see his face, but they're like, news at 11. It's like, yeah, of course somebody could hack into a a baby monitor, I guess, technologically speaking, but I think they're doing a bit of fear-mongering to get people to tune in. You know, it's like, is your toothpaste killing you? News at 11. There's a lot of that. Uh, but, you know, you start thinking about what is really possible in this world we live in now and how we all uh, we all carry around with us active microphones. We carry surveillance devices on us. You know, if you were if you were trying to uh, walk around East Germany circa 1965 and the Stasi was able to give you a device that could that was a recording device, a locational device, a video device, and you could have it with you at all times, the Stasi would have been like, oh, my gosh, this is crazy. But they would have been very happy because it's much more, uh, it is much more effective surveillance than they were even able to do with their enormous network of informants, which I now I have to give you my requisite plug for the lives of others. Das Leben der Anderen. A few of you actually speak fluent German, and whenever I do anything in German on the show, you completely call me out on Facebook. So I'm prepared for that. That's fine. But it's a, it's a wonderful movie, The Lives of Others. Highly, highly recommend it. I recommended it to somebody recently, and he told me he fell asleep during it. I'm not going to lie to you. Never going to think of him the same way again. He's off the list now. Now, I don't, now I'm, not, I'm not recommending anything to him anymore. I recommended Wind River, and he's all like, oh, Buck, you're a genius. Then I'm like, all right. We're going to bring you up to the big time. Now we're going to put you in a foreign language 
situation with the lives of others. And he's like, yeah, I fell asleep during it. And I was like, oh, you insult me, sir. If you get a chance, I would highly recommend you see it. Uh, but we need to understand that these platforms like Facebook and the technology that we carry around with us, it all comes with risks. It all is uh, changing the way we interact. I, you know I keep saying it. It's, it's going to be like the drug cartels and opiate over- overdoses. I was saying that for quite a while on the show. I'm like, no one else is saying it. Now everyone's saying it. So like, wow, Buck, how'd you know? Uh, the biggest change in crime and criminal behavior in this country we've seen over the last 30 or 40 years is the I don't care what anyone said they could talk broken windows theory they could, you know you could you could read freakonomics and which I think is garbage on this issue but there's a and and you can say whatever you want it's technology it's that you are carrying around the ability to in real time photograph live stream video communicate with text message with geolocate all of us all the time we are all connected you can speak to a 911 operator in a matter of seconds. All of us can, all the time. I, I mean, maybe this is a bad thing, and heaven forbid any of the stuff about radiation and, like, carrying radiation in your pocket. You know, it's there's there's some there's actually some... You want to talk about conspiracies? Oh, I got one for you. But if you want to talk about conspiracies, the possible destructive effects of cellular technology as it, as it, uh, as it affects... Uh, Tumor growth and pos- and cancer and things like that. That's people say it, it's not bad for you and it's fine. But then all the people are like, well, there was this study and you know, who really knows how all this stuff affects you. I have big concerns about it um, over the long term. I start to see people who who are like carrying around radiation shielded phones now and stuff. I've seen some. There's some stuff out there, which hey, at least it is definitely a conversation starter if you're on a date. She's like, what's that? And you're like. Don't worry about that, honey. It's my uh, radiation shield. You know what I mean? I've got one that's actually for my computer that I, you know, because you got to protect what's precious in life. So I, I put it, you got to put it across your lap. We you put the laptop on top of it, and there you go. Um, we were talking about Facebook, I think, and Facebook Analytica, but uh, things took a little of a turn. And I, I just was sharing you some of Buck's philosophy of all the things. Buck's theory of everything, if you will. Uh, probably too soon. Um, 844-900-2825, 844-900-BUCK. I'll be right back. You know, occasionally I like to share... Uh, some stories with you that uh, are 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 uplifting, actually. Um, and I, I like to be able to sit here and tell you about something that makes us all feel a little bit good. You know, usually Facebook is is a a place um, a place or or Twitter is a place where you'll see all kinds of nastiness and people just say them they say really mean things to each other and they're just big mean meanies and it's not cool. You know, you'll, you'll get a lot of that. Um, usually that's the case with Facebook. But sometimes, as you know, I was beating up on it a lot before, but sometimes they can be a place for good. Nice things happen, right? People actually build their, and I'm being smug about all this. 
there's a lot of people. There are, nice people are nice on social media. That's what you end up finding out. People who are actually good people in their day-to-day lives are good people on social media. People who are angry and hateful and spiteful, that tends to come across in the way that they interact with others. And I'm sure all of you listening know what I'm talking about. It, it has never crossed my mind, for example, to even before I was uh, in public life in some capacity, you know, being a radio dude, uh, but it would never cross my mind to write something really mean about a public figure's appearance and send it to them, right? Particularly to do that for a, a, a lady. I just think that's terrible. And people do that stuff. Do it all the time. I, I used to see, I used to get angry on behalf of some of my colleagues at The Blaze uh, who were women uh, who would get stuff written to them that was, that was just, it, it would embarrass any normal person to write such a thing. But there's good stuff, too, that happens in social media. And I just wanted to note, uh, this is a, this is a, nice, a nice story. Um, this comes courtesy of uh, Fox News. And Shannon Bream, who is over at Fox and has her own show at, uh, 11, o'clock at 11 o'clock at night, and is one of the, there are, there are some very, very nice people in this business. Shannon is one of the nicest people I have met in, in media, and she's, very likely one of the nicest people I think you would meet anywhere. I mean, she's a really, really uh, kind, down-to-earth person. Um, she put out the following on Twitter. Need your help, Twitterverse, uh, trying to help a young boy who is dying. He probably has just days, and all he wants is a greeting from one of the Avengers. If you have a celebrity connection Please let me know. Otherwise, could you please help out with a retweet? So uh, 40,000 plus people. I don't even know what the number is right now. Uh, but as of this article, 40,000 plus people, and this was from five hours uh, or no, a few hours ago, uh, had retweeted it. I was among them. Um, if I had a connection to Hollywood, I would have reached out, but I don't. Uh, but within a few hours, Chris Evans, who uh, plays Captain America, and Paul Bettany, who played Vision in The Avengers, uh, reached out publicly to Shannon and said that they were uh, willing to help. And Chris Evans said, happy to DM me. And Paul Bettany said, I'm the purple one, DM me. And then Ryan Reynolds, uh, who's Deadpool, said, I'm more of a, rever- uh, a reserve Avenger, but happy to help uh, DM me. And I also saw... Uh, the guy from, and I feel badly now that I'm forgetting, Jeremy uh, Renner, who's from Wind River, but he's also uh, the, you know, the guy with the bow and arrow Avenger. He wrote, I saw the tweet that he put out, uh, you know, suited up and, and ready to go. Um, so, you know, people are, are stepping up and it was just, it was really nice. It was a really nice thing to see. I know this isn't going to change the world or national policy, but, you know, you've got a boy who's, running short on time and his and his wish his his biggest wish right now is to meet one of the avengers and it's uh you know we beat up on hollywood a lot as we should and i hold them to account for the things they say in public life but it's it's nice to see that some of these uh, guys and and gals uh stepped up uh, fox news is reporting that a batch of videos uh, have been sent from the various avengers so they've recorded videos you know suited up and uh, Elizabeth Olsen, who was, oh, she was also, I think, in, uh, she was in Wind River. Elizabeth Olsen as Scarlet Witch. Paul Rudd as Ant-Man. They're all sending greetings to this boy. 
And uh, it's very nice to see this happen. Shannon tweeted out, thank you, everyone. Major progress has been made because of you. A special assist coming in from Jake Tapper. Hey, thanks to Jake Tapper. You know, I've I will say this. I don't know Jake. Never had me on a show. We've never interacted. I've actually heard he's a good guy. So, uh, you know, I'm I'm not going to talk smack about him other than uh, criticizing some of his positions on air. But I've heard he's a good he's a good guy. See, I'll say this about Democrats I disagree with. They won't say it about people like me, even if they don't know me, or even if they know that everyone who's pretty much ever worked with me is like, yeah, he's he's at least honorable and trustworthy and a good dude. You know, you don't have to like me, but there are some things that are just true. Um, but God bless Shannon for getting this going. I mean, she's one of the great ones over at Fox. If you guys, I'm basically doing a you know little public service announcement for her now too. But if you haven't, you know, check out her show. She's she's everything that you'd expect from TV, and she's helping out this young boy, and it's a really nice thing. And thanks to all the Avengers who are doing it, too. And I'm, I just hope that it brings a lot of joy to this young man who, you know, has had a has had a tough go. Um, and it's just nice to see social media being used to not tear someone down and do damaging, nasty things. And everything else. It, it, you know, we, we can leverage these technologies for good things. We can use these technologies to make people feel better about themselves, feel a little happier, to be in touch with loved ones, with friends, to teach people things, to spread knowledge. To, it's amazing. But it's just a reflection of who we are and how we choose to act. Uh, we've got a lot more coming up, team, including uh, Zinke, Secretary of the Interior, and the diversity issue. G4 Tequila is the pinnacle of master distiller Felipe Camarena's passion for crafting truly great. He's back with you now, because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops. This is a porn star. Why are we giving it any credibility? The fact that she now wants to come out with a story because she's afraid of her children. My (laughs) goodness, would you tell the kiddos about your full-time job? I know that when I voted for him, I wasn't voting for a choir boy. Someone is looking and shopping for these people to come out of the woodwork because it is demeaning to our president. You can throw all that stuff up in our face as many times as you want, but that means that we will work harder for Trump. Is that not so, lady? That's correct. This is the media defining the narrative. The people, we the people, are ready to define the narrative. You're looking for a way to impeach my president that I worked very hard for. Welcome to Hour 3 of the Buck Sexton Show, my friends. That was a a collection of uh, Trump supporters, lady Trump supporters, who are just not having it with the whole Stormy Daniels narrative. They do not care. Or if they care, it would be fair to say that they only care in so much as they think that the media is being deeply hypocritical about this. And the allegations are either unfounded or unimportant to them as voters for Uh, for Trump, there is a special kind of gall that is on display when you see a situation like this where you have many of the people pushing the story over at the different networks, the non-Fox media, many of those who are pushing the story the hardest were among the most stalwart defenders of Clinton during the effort to try and cover up what was really going on with Clinton and not just the philandering, but the sexual harassment, the lying under oath, the sexual assaults. 
this they don't care though now that they were covering up for Clinton and that now they're on on the war path against the Trump administration. Doesn't matter to them. It's all about a purpose. You know, we had a clip that I, I didn't get a chance to play for you yesterday, but there was a young journalist uh, who was talking about how journalism is actually activism. Can you, producer Mike, if you if you grab that one from yesterday, let me know because I thought it was so important for everyone to hear that that's really the mentality now and that's becoming more and more the case that it's out there for us all to see journalism as activism is becoming the inescapable reality of a vast majority of the media outlets that are out there so when that all of a sudden is the case when you don't have professional ethics anymore you have ideological goals what is not what what is no longer acceptable if it is okay for people to do whatever they can to stop trump then isn't it fair to say that we've seen the end of the notion of journalism as a major force in american politics right if they embrace activism they're openly about being activists because they can't hide it anymore i mean they they can only play games for so long if they do that then don't we think it's fair to say that journalism is really a, a history? It's, it's an anachronism now, or becoming an anachronism. Now, on, on the actual Stormy Daniels thing for a second, uh, a few things. One is, I, I got to say, if, if in fact the, that this is true, let's all, let's all get on the same page with it. I know you already. It's, it's, it's bad conduct. It is it is reprehensible. It's not okay. It's not a not a not an all right thing to do to be a married man with a newborn baby. Be a married man, period, but married man, newborn baby, and you're running around with. So if you believe that Trump did this, we all need to understand it's reprehensible behavior, but it doesn't mean that I can't support the agenda anymore and that he's no longer a good politician. It doesn't change the view of what the actual platform is and what the goals are for the country. If you don't believe it, of course, well then you just think this is a media smear campaign. And, but I think we can all agree. The conduct w- is bad. Oh, we've got this. Uh, play, play the activist. This is, she's from like the, the Eagle Journal or something. Is, what was it called? Uh, Eagle Eye, I believe it was. The Eagle Eye. Oh, that sounds kind of intense. Play it. A lot of Parkland students becoming activists. Oh, Brian Stelter. But you over there as journalists, hey. do you see a difference right now between journalism and activism and what you're doing? Do you see a difference? I think that, for me, the purpose of journalism is to raise, you know, the voices of people that maybe don't have a voice. And so I think that in its own right, journalism is a form of activism. And I think that there is distinctions for me, um, you know, as a journalist and also as someone that wants to demand change. But I think that the partnership of the two is the only reason that we are able to make a change. Journalism. Wait, can you answer this question for me? I'm the one with the show on CNN, Brian Stelter reporting. But notice what she said. Journalism is a form of activism. Oh, okay. Well, in that case... Journalism is a form of politics. Journalism is a form of propaganda. You know, we, we could play this game all day. But I actually, I'm not trying to put that young woman down. I think she's articulating what they all think. She's just saying it. And you see it with everything we talk about here on the show, whether it's all the way from Stormy Daniels to Trump is in Russia's pocket to, oh, my gosh, the trade war is going to destroy this country. Oh, my gosh, Trump is you know, the worst president in the history of presidents. All of it. Right? You see it on display constantly. And it's it's never going to be the same. There's no putting the genie back in the bottle, so to speak. 
Is that a microaggression now, by the way, the whole genie in a bottle thing? Is that like an appropriation of, of Mideast culture? And so few people even know it comes from Arabian Nights and you know, there's actually a backstory. It's not from Aladdin. Disney didn't just come up with this out of nowhere, but Arabian Nights. Remember that? It was amazing. That was like not really close, but it was okay. It kind of it got you in the mood for a second for some Aladdin. I had a professor a long time ago who used to go on this, this tirade or tirade, if you're really fancy. Uh, no one says that, Buck. Uh, but he used to go on this tirade where he would talk about how uh, er- there was so much of what Edward Said, the Columbia University professor of Middle Eastern studies, called Orientalism, which is the otherizing of those from the East. And like Princess Jasmine in the movie Aladdin is basically dressed as a, as a belly dancer slash harem girl, which the princess would not dress like effectively a... a uh, yeah. Maybe we'll talk about the all the ways that Aladdin is offensive to the left another day. That's kind of a fun conversation. That's a fun one to to get into. So anyway, team, I've got a whole lot more for you this hour, including Zinke is in trouble for not loving diversity enough. He's the uh, Secretary of the Interior. Well, he's also a former SEAL. The guy is awesome. We'll talk about that and much more coming up here in just a few minutes. Stay with me. You have to have the best information possible, my friends, if you want your business to be successful, if you want to be successful in any commercial venture. That's where Global Verification Network comes in. They're the only dual-certified, veteran-owned background investigation and vetting company, and they are independently certified by the National Veteran Business Development Council, which is the only minority spend certification recognized by the Billion Dollar Roundtable. That's a long way of saying these guys come at it from many different angles. They are the best in the business. They are certified, and they are ready to rock for you. Go to MyGVN.com or call 877-695-1179. Global Verification Network. They are the best veteran-owned background investigation and vetting company out there. Go to MyGVN.com or call 877-695-1179. 1179 Global Verification Network. So there's this editorial in the New York Times. And you know what? It's a, it's important. It's a good one. It's important for us to see it. Because it's the truth about all this gun grabber stuff. You know, they play the same game every time. We know what the game is, right? Oh, no, we just want common sense gun reforms and, you know, whose streets are streets. You know, we, we, you know they say it's about activism and listen to the youth and uh, a revolution against violence and blah, 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 all that. But then you start to see some people that are actually advocating from prominent positions. Uh, you see some people who are, well, clear on what they want, which is they want to repeal the Second Amendment. They don't want to tinker with it. They don't want to nibble around the edges. They don't want to cut the cookie into pieces. They want it to be gone. Googie monster. They want it to be gone. And the Times published, in order to make that case as strongly as they possibly could, uh, the Times published an editorial by none other then the retired Supreme Court Justice, uh, John Paul Stevens. Now, in perfect, it, it, this is as, as classic as it gets, folks. Uh, John Paul Stevens 
repeal the Second Amendment is the title. But this is the most New York Times thing ever. At the top of the article, they choose, and this is a featured on their editorial page. It just went up. What was it today? I think. Um, they've got a picture of a musket and a picture of an AR-15, or maybe it's a well, whatever. They're calling it an assault rifle. But at the bottom, they had to append this correction to this New York Times piece. An earlier version of a picture captioned with this article misidentified the 18th century firearm depicted. It is a musket, not a rifle. What a shock. Here we have the New York Times in an editorial where they're literally saying they want to get rid of the Second Amendment. I mean, they are actually just coming out and saying it. You know, get rid of the Second Amendment. And they misidentify a firearm at the top of the article. And not by like a little bit. You know, it's not like they said, oh, it's an AR-15 and it's actually an M4, you know, something like that. No, no, no. You know, people make mistakes. <laughs> I used to, I remember when I worked at the Blaze uh, at the website and we would all joke around about how you could get away with typos here and there. You know, you make an error. We're posting a lot of stories all day. This was the old days, the Blaze.com. And, uh, you know, I was uh, I was hired as an assistant assistant uh, editor for Nash for intelligence and technology, I think. And I was like, all right, first of all, I don't really know anything about technology. Second of all, I'm a national security guy. So why don't we call it this? So we changed it in time. But anyway, uh, but I remember the one thing that you could not could not get away with making any mistakes on was firearms related. If you found yourself. If you find yourself Riding in fields with the sun on your face. Do not be alarmed, for you are in Elysium. Uh, no, but if you found yourself writing something that was incorrect about firearms, um, then you would uh, very quickly have a pi- the pylon to end all pylons of, how could you be so stupid? Like, people would completely lose it on you. And, you know, sure enough... You would change it, and it'd be fine. I think somebody once identified a two forty a two forty Golf at, as a an M sixty, and that and that was an issue. That was a problem. So, but now I want to get into the substance of of this editorial that John Paul Stevens actually wrote for the Times. So, uh, yeah, this uh, as I was saying, this this John Paul Stevens thing is is amazing, but. Um, let me let me read you a little bit of, of the case that he makes in it, and then we'll get into it in some more detail. Uh, he writes, quote, during the years when Warren Burger was our chief justice from 1969 to 1986, no judge, federal or state, as far as I'm aware, expressed any doubt as to the limited coverage of that amendment. When organizations like the National Rifle Association disagreed with that position and began their campaign, Uh, began their campaign claiming that federal regulations of firearms curtailed Second Amendment rights. Chief Justice Berger publicly characterized the NRA as perpetrating, quote, one of the greatest pieces of fraud, I repeat the word fraud, on the American public by special interest groups I have ever seen in my lifetime. So he cites this, uh, what one judge was saying back in, you know, I don't know, wherever it was, 1960s or something. 
And then he goes into the uh, D.C. v. Heller decision, 2008, the one time the Supreme Court's really looked at the issue specifically of can a municipality, in that case the District of Columbia, where our federal government is based, can it just say no guns? No guns for you. Can it do that? And D.C. v. Heller tell, told us that, no, in fact, the government can't just say you do not have any right to own a firearm because we say so. And that, I think, is something that particularly agitates and irritates liberals now um, because uh, because now they have to just be very wildly hypocritical, returning to a theme here, folks, about whether or not Supreme Court precedent is settled. Is it settled? You'll notice they'll say Roe v. Wade is a constitutional right. No, Roe v. Wade is a Supreme Court decision. It's not a constitutional right. And no realistic, uh, honest assessment of what the Constitution says in any way indicates that Roe v. Wade is or that the right to abortion is a constitutional right. But they'll speak of it as though this is as settled as it gets. This is as settled as the, you know, the world is not flat. But D.C. Heller, which just happened a few years ago, so it's happening in our, our current political context, right? It's not, doesn't feel like a long time ago because it wasn't a long time ago. That doesn't, somehow, that doesn't really count the same way for them. That doesn't really, uh, doesn't really rate for them. That's just a bad decision. Well, which is it? Is a Supreme Court decision on something like the right to bear arms binding and important going forward or is it just important uh, when you think it is when you say it is there's such a dishonesty at the heart of a lot of what goes on with the liberal discussion about firearms and that's why i like to see the john paul stevens column because he's just coming out and saying it his argument is crap they can't even get the name of the friggin' gun right at the top of the thing but at least he's like, you know, I would just like to ban firearms. I want to ban the Second Amendment. Get it. Get rid of it. No more. Repeal it. And you say to yourself, all right, well, at least we can have a discussion now about whether or not that should happen. There's such a dishonesty at work with the liberal efforts to do the incremental, oh, no more magazines with more than 10 rounds. They love to call them clips and we love to make fun of them when they do. But you know what I mean. No more magazines above 10 rounds. No more uh, cosmetic features on AR variant rail systems. You know, no more foregrips. No more, uh, well, no more bump stocks. I'm actually okay with the no more bump stocks. I know some, some people yell at me for that, but I'm like, you know what? Bump stock is kind of ridiculous. It's really a technique for firing more than it is actually in addition to a weapon, and uh, nonetheless. Uh, but this is this is a reminder that those of us who say to you they actually want to just ban guns and they should be honest about it are telling you the truth. They're the ones who are dissembling. They're the ones who are not telling the truth when they pretend that all they really want, all they really want is common sense gun reform. All they want is some changes around the margins that won't really affect anything, that won't really upset anyone. And it's just not that big a deal. That's a very big deal, actually. Because the incrementalism is meant to change the culture around guns. It's meant to change the way you think about firearms. And as I keep saying to you, it's more that they just don't like the people that own guns than anything else. And I get in trouble for it. That's fine. It's the truth. 
They think that gun owners are toothless hillbillies who watch NASCAR. And so if they can antagonize gun owners by saying that the Second Amendment should be repealed or even just more limited than any other constitutionally protected right, they're more than willing to do so. More than willing. You know, they are absolutely in favor of doing everything that they can up to and including lying, pressure campaigns. And you get a former Supreme Court justice who's just saying what all the other all the other libs out there believe, really, which is that the right to bear arms is not really a right, that the NRA is effectively a domestic terrorist organization or whatever the latest defamatory statement is. And uh, ultimately, as we look at this, we need to understand what the other side really wants and what we're dealing with here. So I think that uh, it's good. It is good. And you should read this. It's good that we saw this, and you should read this at a trial in the New York Times where we finally get some honesty on the left. They don't want common sense gun reforms. They want to ban your guns. We'll be right back with uh, Zinke and diversity. Stay with me. He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. I knew that they would go after Secretary of Interior Zinke. I mean, the guy's a, a former Navy SEAL. He's way too pro-America and pro-freedom for the Democrat left to just let things slide, right? He's, got a, he's tied to the Trump administration. They're going to find a way to go after him. But if you look at this guy's record, if you know his background, there's really not much of an opening. He's clearly a patriot. He's an honorable guy, well-respected. I've actually uh, done a podcast or two with him in the past uh, as we were co-guests. And he's, a, he's just a, a good man, a good American. And they're going after him, folks. On, on what grounds, by the way? What is the easiest way to attack any member of the administration who is in a position of managerial authority? What, what do you know you'll be able to make a case about? insufficient devotion to diversity oh yes of course it's just always there for them isn't it you know whenever they need some way to attack they know that insufficient devotion remember i'm not saying even uh dismissing diversity i'm not even saying uh being an opponent of diversity outright is what they're looking for you just if you don't Pray to the diversity gods, so to speak. If you aren't someone who bends the knee, you are a target. If you speak out about the witch hunt mentality surrounding anyone in any federal agency or or really anywhere uh, who is not sufficiently devoted to diversity, uh, then you get yourself into trouble. And I always start with, well, what is diversity exactly? They talk about insufficient diversity at these institutions. And then I'll say, like, for example, the uh, the Department of the Interior, which is what Ryan Zinke uh, is, in fact, the director of or secretary of. And when you look at the numbers, there is minority representation or minority employees at, at these places, at places like the Interior Department. Uh, they're just saying it's insufficient. Well, I always want to say, how do we know if it's sufficient, folks? We can't have quotas. Remember, quotas are unacceptable. Because quotas are an open admission of the elimination of merit in the process. You can't say we have to have a certain number of X and Y and Z and not say that you're adjusting the 
merit requirements for getting different jobs. And so what you have is, okay, if only 25 percent of the Department of the Interior's minority and 34 percent of the United States is minority. Let's just, I'm making those numbers up, by the way, but they're roughly they're they're in the in the ballpark of accurate. So you're saying that's insufficient minority representation. But do we have to have the exact number? Do we have to have more than the number would be as a percentage of the U.S. population to make up for historical wrongs? Who decides what sufficient attention and devotion to diversity really is? The answer is it's really just a dividing line between left and right in this country. It is used as a concept against conservatives. It's not really a concept that actually has any definable limits or definable goals. And by the way, what did Zinke even do to come under uh, fire, so to speak, from the left here? CNN writes this piece, sources, Zinke tells employees diversity isn't important. That's not really what he said, according to the piece itself. Let me read to you from this CNN hit piece, because that's what it is. Quote, three high-ranking interior, interior officials from three different divisions said that Zinke has made several comments with a similar theme, saying diversity isn't important, or I don't care about diversity, or I don't really think that's important anymore. Each time, Zinke followed with something along the lines of, what's important is having the right person for the job, or I care about excellence, and I'm going to get the best people. And you'll find we have had the most diverse group anyone's ever had. Uh, So what's the problem, folks? This was a big story yesterday. They were covering on CNN, covering it in other places. When you look at what was actually said here, not only is it not a problem, I agree with Zinke 100%. Does that mean I'm insufficiently devoted to diversity? He's saying that he wants the best people for the job. And he said, we have the most diverse group anyone's ever had. So he's saying, I look for the best. And and we actually have a very diverse staff relative to other Department of Interior staffs. And he's still in trouble, though, because he's not allowed to say things like, I don't care about diversity. You know, This whole notion of social justice versus merit is at the heart of so many leftist policies. It's clearly at the heart of affirmative action. And the concept of diversity, though, look, I saw it. I remember when I was overseas and seeing up on the walls of military bases in a war zone, my friends, posters with things like diversity is our strength. No, that's not true. The strength of the United States military is the courage, uh, bravery, and skill of those wearing the uniform, those carrying arms for their country. Uh, Diversity is not the strength of the United States military. And that kind of brainless propaganda is pretty widespread within the diversity movement. It's really not unusual at all to read slogans about diversity that make you think to yourself, this is idiotic. This makes no sense. I don't even know what they're really trying to say other than to hammer at home that you have to you have to be part of team diversity, which really just means you will do whatever is necessary to placate the politically correct dictates of the left. Whatever their whims may be at any point in time, you have to say, sir, yes, sir, or ma'am, yes, ma'am, or zir, yes, zir, because with a Z now or, a, or an X, by the way, because I don't want to be 
misgendering people, right? Yeah. Big D diversity. We're going to continue to fight against the nonsense concept here in the Freedom Hut. Uh, We will be right back with some roll call. Oh, man, it's been a long day. It's been fun here in the hut, though, but just a lot of stuff. I did America's Newsroom this morning, Brett Baer's panel tonight, and then Kennedy's show. How do I do it all? The magic of media, my friends. I hope you got a chance to check that out. And if you didn't, we'll put it up on Facebook so you can see the latest uh, analysis and all things that uh, I'm up to. And with that, let's hear what you're up to. Oh, you know what that means. It's time for some roll call. Team Buck, it's time for roll call. All right, we have Isaac, who has written about the... uh, the what he calls the white South African uh, genocide. And this is about the white farmers in South Africa. He says, please try to get the media to start talking about this. Well, Isaac, I've been talking about the violence against white farmers. Uh, genocide would be too strong and, and inaccurate a term at this point. Uh, but there has been a long and concerted campaign of violence and intimidation against white farmers in Zimbabwe, formerly Rhodesia, uh, under the reign of Mugabe, who just came to an end some months ago. Uh, So this is something we have to be on the lookout for, um, and I will continue to talk about it here in the the hut. We have next up here, Susanna, who says, Hey, Buck, passing along a message from my original Saturday Squad husband, OSS, who introduced me to you regarding music for Roll Call. He likes the original drumming, bringing everyone to attention. I'm okay with anything, just you don't go anywhere. Love the show and appreciate you and your insight. Shields, hi. Well, Susanna, thank you so much. And yeah, we'll, we'll mix it up a bit. We could get a little bit of that old school drummer music thrown in there for you. Uh, so we, we'll keep everyone on their toes because that is how we roll in the hut. That's how we do, as the kids say. Uh, Jen writes the following buck. Is this a budget or a bill? It seems from what I've read, Trump does not have to spend the money as allocated uh, because this is not truly a budget per se. You know, Jen, I'm digging down into this because I want to make sure that I know the full facts about what level of discretion the president has within the budget that has or within the Uh, The bill that has been passed, which contains many budgetary measures. So this is a level of uh, intra-governmental complexity that I'm going to have to deep dive into this and spend a bit more time on it. Uh, But you raise a very important point, and thank you for your support of the show. Chris writes, what happened to Shields High podcast? I drive a truck at night and really enjoyed it. Chris, it's coming back. If I could only... Just lay out all the. First of all, I, I I really appreciate your enthusiasm for it. I love doing it. It just takes up my entire, well, part of the week and then weekend. I end up reading multiple books for each episode, and I love doing it. But it, it will come back, and it'll be a whole series. And you just you're I'm just gonna have to ask for your patience. I hope you all don't forget about the Shields High podcast, and uh, we we will get back. I can't leave it with the the Ottoman Turks taking Constantinople, and that's just the end, right? Oh, no. In the wars of Christendom and Islam in the Renaissance period, 
uh, we are going to we're going to make our way through the whole thing. Uh, so I'm getting there. Thank you very much, though, Chris. Uh, James writes, low gluten hosts are available, but not gluten free hosts. My wife has very bad celiac, celiac disease and she can receive a gluten free host or low gluten host once a week without ill effects. But there, there is not a gluten free host available. The bread cannot be pure wheat and stick together without gluten. A good traditional priest will be happy to provide it. Um, I'm not taking. I'm look, folks. I'm gonna, I'm not taking any chances on low gluten. I want no gluten. So, Buck's tummy is very important. Uh, I know my eternal salvation is also really important, but so is my tummy. So I got to figure out a way to handle this, and uh, I'll get back to you when I have more answers. Uh, Dale writes. Hey, Buck, thanks so much for the tip on the New York Times series on the Vegas shooter. It was eerie, all right, especially so since I was staying at the attached Delano and hanging at the Mandalay and quite possibly had passed this creep in the passageways while I was there on business. I came back Thursday morning. I never realized he had been in the place all week. Yeah, Dale, I do recommend that everybody who has the time and inclination check out those New York Times uh, video pieces that have been put up on the website that have to do with uh, the Vegas shooters seven day just calm walking around preparation for his mass murder spree. It's I don't know why the New York Times got the exclusive on it. It's another thing that just somewhat surprised me, but it's worth watching if you get a chance. It really is. Uh, Kevin is up next. Uh, hey, Buck, great show as always. Uh, since the OG Saturday shows. Oh, wow. OG Saturday or OSS. Just wanted to let you know that you're 0 for 2 with answering that roll call question about the Twitter thread from Friday 323. It was by Alexandra DeSanctis of National Review. Uh, to revisit the error. Wow, Kevin's plunging the knife in and twisting it now. You had said Daily Wire or The Federalist. Nice try. <laughs> Ms. DeSanctis is one of the most prudent, uh, prudent, pardon me, ardent pro-life voices out there. In case you want to have someone talk about such issues, all the best, Kevin. Kevin is completely correct. He's calling me out and he's right to do so. I was wrong. It wasn't the Federalist. It was National Review and it was Alexander DeSanctis. And it's a very important Twitter thread. Uh, next, we have Heidi, who writes... Just recently transferred here to University of Southern Florida, and I am in the United States Marine Corps officer program here like I was at my last university. Here I find myself the only conservative and the only Christian in the program, which is somewhat surprising considering most of the people I know in the military are conservative Christians. Anyway, thanks for all you're doing. I don't know what I'd do without the daily broadcast from the Freedom Hut. Truth to power and shields high. Thank you so much, Heidi. First of all, thank you for what you're doing in the uh, USMC officer program. Uh, great to hear that uh, young ladies, uh, patriots like yourself are joining up in the core. So that's just really cool. And uh, thank you very much for your support of the show. And, you know, you're probably you probably have more like minded conservatives around you than you can tell right now. It's often just a question of whether they're willing to expose themselves you know whether they're willing to be public about it a lot of people keep it quiet and i know i do in, in social settings people would generally have very little idea until i know them about what i think of the world 
I've gotten very good as a New Yorker at, I'm talking about in superficial, quick, you know, hey, how you doing? Oh, hey, I'm fine. You know, when your voice goes all high, when you say, oh, hey, what's going on? Oh, hey, how are you? You know, one of those greetings, not like an old friend or someone you know, but, oh, hey, Bob, it's been a while. What's going on, Bob? You know, oh, hey, Buck, hey, how are you? Uh, I tend not to get into the, gosh, can you believe what's going on with these uh, gun, gun marches across the country, anti-gun marches? It's just not worth it to put myself through the frustration of listening to all the ignorance oh hey how you doing oh yeah it's great you know buck what are you working on these days oh you know lots of stuff real busy you know, i've gotten really good at that at the non-conversation conversation when i'm in a very blue place like new york city and unless i know it's a friendly i just keep it all on the i'm polite i talk about dogs and food and i leave it there you know maybe the weather but i try not to get into the global warming part of the weather uh, next up here, we have Doug, who writes, Hi, Buck. After suffering through the hype and rhetoric surrounding Saturday's events in D.C., I just wanted to suggest our word for the day should be oclocracy. It gives me chills each time I see a clip showing these kids reciting the mantra, this is what democracy looks like. No children, our constitutional republic incorporates a democrat structure of rep- democratic structure of representative government not dictate via mob rule. Yes, oclocracy is actually something I wrote about in Occupy American Spring, an ebook I wrote as a cub reporter at The Blaze, gosh, almost seven years ago now. I specifically got into the oclocracy of Occupy Wall Street. So I was oclocracy before oclocracy was cool. It's a fun word to say, by the way. Uh, with that, I think we're in a perfect place for me to close down the Freedom Hut for the evening thank you so much for being here with me team it is the best part of my day every single day i'm gonna go home now and probably eat a whole bunch of red meat because i have some uh very delicious grass-fed hamburger meat in the fridge that i'm going to just probably eat about a pound of and uh, and then i'll get ready for tomorrow's show i usually fall asleep reading for this show and i look forward to it every night Please tell your friends, download the podcast. It's just on iTunes at The Buck Sexton Show. Until tomorrow night, my friends, no matter what comes your way, shields high.